Welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work. We're coming to you today from Durham-Marigal land, which is part of the Durag Nation here in Sydney. And I want to start by acknowledging Elders past, present and emerging and expressing our gratitude for the care of this beautiful land for thousands of years. Now, down to the podcast. I'm Rhonda Brighton-Hall. I am CEO and founder of MOI, Making Work Absolutely Human. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Brenton Williamson, we know we know as Willow, <laughs> um, Hello, business directors down in Adelaide, South Australia. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm uh, really pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm really pleased to have you here. I think it will be a really fun conversation. I think that your expertise and understanding of the topics we're going to talk about today is also just a real bonus. It's lovely. So thank you. Now, as we always do with the podcast, we do three important points for the week. So two are topical issues. And then one example of someone doing amazing work. We've got a great example of amazing work this week. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> but let's talk about the important issues first. So point one, the word of the year has just been announced for 2022. And I think it deserves some attention. It is the word permacrisis. Mm, what so an interesting we, word. Yeah, it's an interesting it? word. Mm. Um, and if we start with a definition, which I've stolen, and so I will read to you, and it's from uh, a writer in the newspaper this week in the New York Times, it says, permacrisis is a term that perfectly embodies the dizziness sense of lurching from one unprecedented to an event to another as we wonder bleakly what new horrors will be around the corner. It represents a shift from the way we the notion of a crisis has been defined until now. So it's sort of this idea that you can't deal with it because there's always another one coming. Well, it's a really interesting word, isn't it? And uh, it raises a couple of ideas in my mind. Um, it's the sense of, uh, uh, you know, once upon a time crisis referred to uh, something that had longevity, something that was upon us for a while rather than a one-off event. Uh, I know it could be described as that. But I'm wondering whether uh, one-off events or passing things are getting, well, is it too far to say overrated as crisis sometimes? Maybe we're overreaching with the word, uh, using it for too many things maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it it's that's interesting. Are we, we catastrophizing everything so that it can be put up the list of what we're dealing with? Because we have been, like in Australia, we've been dealing with we went bushfires to floods or floods to bushfires or floods to bushfires, mm. back to floods or whatever it's been. It's been pretty wild. And then we had COVID thrown into the middle of that. And so it, it is this feeling of overwhelm. Mm. It, it does feel a bit like that. And uh, it feels like sometimes uh, the, um, the incidents or the events are in competition with each other, which of course they're not, but it can be presented that way, that, you know, which is the biggest crisis or which is the, has the most impact um, it made me wonder whether there's a danger then that we might uh, miss uh, or underplay real crisis or crisis that actually deserve that sort of attention because everything has got the status. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting question. And like I know your background, and you've come from a long background um, in policing, yes. and so obviously by definition you will have dealt with. I don't know, more than your share of crises. Absolutely. And, and so if it is a crisis and you're in a room of people at work, let's just bring it back closer to us, yes. what, what are the things we need to do to, to deal with it? 
Yes, yeah, uh, very interesting, isn't it? And I think, I don't know, I, I think the word calmness comes to my mind straight away and uh, we're very, uh, we're often attracted to someone who's calm in a crisis, aren't we? Um, yep. And I don't mean inactive, <laughs> but I mean that's sort of calm. <laughs> Catatonically in the <laughs> corner. <laughs> so calm that you're just asleep in the corner. Um, no, no. Uh, I'm yes, thinking more at the person who's calm but is also making a step forward or making a step sideways or making an assessment or getting involved or doing something. Is um, that about hope? Is that about sort of stepping up to go, there might be a way through this? Oh, I like that. Yeah, hope. Uh, because hope gets people moving, doesn't it? It can uh, unfreeze the situation. Um, and also I hope that somebody in the room knows what to do or has got an idea of what to do or understands what's happening i like that idea yeah hope jumping back to the crisis i might have gone to as a police officer and i did go to many often when you arrived at a scene and it's chaotic people are looking for i never used to describe it that way but i like what you just said they were looking for hope they were looking for someone to arrive with an idea with a step with a stage with something to do that might unravel or unfold or solve this thing yeah yeah, yeah. it's a, it's is a, there is a really great article in the conversation about this word of the year the permacrisis piece where it's just constant crisis and yes. they describe crises as no longer something to fix but situations to manage so if you can sort of get a grip on it, compartmentalise it a little bit, at least organise the chaos of a crisis, um, then you might be okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Are they saying some parts of a crisis you just need to travel, you have to travel, so you may need to manage the journey rather than avoid it? Yeah, and maybe, yeah, and there's certainly, there's certainly when we're talking about resilience work, which we both know a lot about too, is yes. this adrenal addiction where someone's just in a frenetic, crazy place um, versus someone who's catatonic. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle is someone who's sort of going, okay, let's get this organised so we can at least do something with it. Mm. I think that there's a lot, of, a lot of what we've seen in the wellbeing issues that have come out of COVID and all these crises that we've yeah. been through is this overwhelm, this feeling of, oh, not I can't deal with another one, and I know they're coming now because I expect yeah. them all the time. I, I wonder whether there are any people who um, almost have become addicted to the crisis cycle. Um, it becomes part of their experience, uh, maybe even a reason why they're not moving or they're stuck or they're, they're pausing because of the crisis, because of the event that's around me. Um, yeah. Um, there's a woman that we work really closely with, Anya Watkins, who's a very brilliant um, clinical psychologist, and she talks about understanding um, the work you do, okay? This is yeah. your work to do. And yeah. so you can't fix everything for everyone all the time, yeah. but you can decide what piece of it's yours to do, get that piece done, and then learn to expect and rely on others to do their piece and we'll come together to get through it. So she talks it very much about a collective responsibility to move through together. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Identifying identifying your part and play your part. Mm, just do your best you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't try and overreach and addicted yeah. to everything. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the other thing that I would land on from it, from the work that we do, is that how do you help others get through it? A little bit of sonder goes a long way. Like everybody's lives are as complicated and as important as yours. So if you can get your work done and 
reach out and help someone else who's got just as important life as you, um, it does go a long way to sort of getting us through it together. Yes, I think so. I like that. Um, I don't think it helps to either deny the feelings that someone's having about the crisis, uh, however we feel about how they're handling it, better to play our part and help them play their part and provide the hope and start moving forward. And maybe when they don't have confidence in themselves to help the way, themselves through it, you can give them a bit of confidence that they'll. this is going to be okay and you will be too. Let's go to topic two, which is this right. new leadership. So ANU does a big annual election survey. This is as close as we ever go to politics uh-huh. <laughs> as a group. So, And it deals with leadership, leadership characteristics that matter. And you see the long list come through, compassionate, sensible, knowledgeable, trustworthy, all these sorts of things we always hear. I think what's so interesting about it is that while the long list is not new, the order that they're coming through of importance to us at the moment in political leaders is very different than we've we've had in the past. And the order that they've come through, and this is assessing Anthony Albanese and friends at the moment, is compassionate, sensible, which is your version of calm. I really yes. like that. Yep. Intelligent, honest, competent, trustworthy. Mm. So you sort of this list of humble almost calm things that you just want someone going, that's super important in our leaders right now. Maybe it relates to permacrisis. <laughs> I, I think it relates to it uh, totally. I think the the uh, uh, com- compassionate, sensible uh, and intelligent, I think those, you know, at the top of the list there, well, they're ideal. And if you think about the people we work for or the people we want to work for, uh, usually it's those people and it's been that way for a while i think usually it's the person who has some compassion calm and sensible in a crisis or or just in an everyday work scenario and you can trust with trust them and i think it's uh, great to see that those values are still at the top or coming to the top or being renewed to the top i think yeah i th- i i really like them as a list so can I ask you a personal question like you're thinking back to leaders that you've worked with over the years um What's an example of extraordinary? What, what, where do those characteristics come out? The leaders that I often think about is uh, when I was in my 20s uh, as a patrol officer, a first responder, yeah. you relied on your team sergeant a lot. Uh, they, I became one of those later on. But so before I became one, I had examples of team sergeants, a number of them over my first part of my career. And they, ha- they control your life. And you're out there in the wide, wide world uh, trying to solve all sorts of things and going to see things you've never seen before um, and trying to deal with a whole range of things. And the sergeant is like, uh, the good sergeants were almost like a, a confident, a director, a father figure, a uh, uh, you know someone who you could trust, someone who could lean on, someone who you could make a mistake in front of, someone you could learn in front of. And the bad ones were those who were there ready, uh, watching you, waiting for you to slip up. And the difference in the team atmosphere in such a, a tight uh, place as a patrol team, a police patrol team, the difference in the whole atmosphere with those two different sorts of leaders was absolutely enormous. It was tangible. You could see it. I saw it as a young man. I modelled the way I was going to be as a supervisor later on by those good traits that I saw. Yeah. It gave confidence to the team to be calm, to be compassionate, to be honest, to be open to deal with the scenario as they came up, and then to be able to talk about it afterwards in an honest sort of way, in an open way, which was so mm. critical in those sort of 
in that mm. sort of environment. The debrief, that's an incredibly important part of it. I think it's, if you can imagine, like, you're sitting in Parliament at the moment, I know we're always, you know, lots of Australians are very harsh on politicians, but yeah. what they're dealing with is like, oh, my goodness, the world at the moment is just hard. It's yes. like, a, you know, we think of the local permacrises, they're, they're dealing with global as well as local permacrises. That idea that the person who's in charge or the people that are in charge is not one person, of course, is that they are compassionate and caring, that they're creating an environment where we can be wow, that's big. How are we going to deal with it? Let me express a few questions. Let me debrief on how I'm feeling. I, I think it's it's a given that that's really good good characteristics, but it's so nice to have that conversation over compassion and sensibleness and honesty and trustworthy as opposed to a conversation about the dramatics of what the person's wearing or whether they're a gay orator or all the things that we yes. went through um, in the last couple of years, it was really quite dull. I agree. I agree. I, I find it uh, quite dull when, uh, and the media, you know, I'm not going to focus on the media, but the media, that's where we we see a lot of our leaders, isn't it? And they focus on those inane things that just pass away and that don't really matter. And they, they focus on the things that we don't want other people to focus on us. Uh, I, You know, I'd rather people see my characteristics rather than what I look like. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were a um, very handsome man. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, I'll set you up for that one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, but but yeah, absolutely. It's those characteristics. I I I uh you know, as as a leader where I've just come from and as a as a someone who maybe had a bit of influence, I wanted to be seen as someone who was compassionate. I used to use the word caring, but I'm I think I'm thinking the same thing. Um, and someone who was calm and sensible. Uh, rather than even someone who was exceedingly bright or was yeah. uh, funny or any of those things, they might come yeah. along those things. But I wanted those other those other attributes. So, do you yeah, think they come together as humility? Yes, I think you do. I think they do. Humility and the, and be able to hold humility. I'm thinking about our leaders, our national leaders, our state leaders, being able to hold humility whilst being in the public eye. I think is uh, a very clever. Not clever. Clever sounds uh, dishonest is uh is a good thing yeah it's a it's a yeah it's an important thing it's an important thing yeah about to hold that humility you know I, I think i don't know if i'm a dreamer but i think that most of our leaders our key leaders when they start out they start out with a lot of these things in their mind mm. now some of them lose their way along the way but uh or they get hidden or shrouded by other things they get cluttered but i think they most who go into public life start out with a sense of compassion for a particular issue or particular people or for the country or, yeah. or something like that and are caring people. Um, I don't think they start out with any of the attributes that, that might come to the fore for some later on. Yeah. I have a theory. Can I give you my yes. theory? I love your theory, yes. <laughs> so my theory is that there's two routes to leadership. So one of them is someone wakes up in the morning, say in politics, and says, I reckon I could run the country. Yes. And I think that's a very interesting headspace. And I think some people run up, I reckon I could run everything. And other people wake up and go, I reckon I could make a difference today and I'll make it. And then they make a bit bigger difference and a bit bigger difference and a bigger difference and all of a sudden they're making really big differences. I love that path. And I reckon when they're at the top, you can see the person who, stepped over everybody because they wanted to be in charge versus the person who just kept making a difference. That's a good theory. I like that theory a lot. And I think <laughs> you can recognise the difference in most of those who that we see uh, where they came from in that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I reckon that's where it comes from. Let's go to point three, even though I could talk about that topic all day to you because I know we both have had a lifelong love of what is leadership and how do you build it and where does it come from? And Love that topic. Maybe another for another day. We'll go <laughs> another one. Topic three, we always like to land on someone doing some really great work. Now, um, I want to talk about an organisation out of Brisbane called Trade Mutt. Have you seen them, Willow? No, I haven't. They're... Um, Incredible. So we first met in, I think, 2019. I was invited to the National Wellbeing Conference to give a speech on belonging and connection, and they were speaking immediately after me, and so I got to listen to their conversation. Um, They actually do workwear, but not as you know it. It's incredibly Mm -hmm. cool. Um, The website uh, is www.trademutt.com. And it's really creatively coloured workwear because they feel the conversation about mental well-being and health in construction is a silent conversation. And by wearing really crazy shirts, they started this conversation around why are you wearing that crazy shirt? It's in fluoro colours and patterns and floral and everything else. So they wanted to stop the silence of the conversation, and that's a nice thing to do. But it's what they've done next to that is they channel 50% of their profit into creating um, and funding conversations for mental well-being. They've currently funded 2,411 hours of conversation on well-being and depression for uh, people in that industry. And effectively, um, massive um, inputs into $650,000 into mental health support delivered to tradies um, helped provide 30,000 hours of disability disability employment. It's just the most creative way to, first of all, have a colourful conversation and, secondly, direct it into a whole bunch of really good stuff. What a brilliant, uh, what a brilliant idea and what a, what a a brilliant work. I love the idea that you create a piece like they've done it with their workwear and it creates conversations. I just really like (laughs) that idea of rather than um, yelling things at us, actually putting something there that makes us ask a question and then we're engaged. Um, yeah. I love that idea. Yeah, I love it too. I yeah. just think that, and then they've also created just, if anyone's interested, go into that website, www.trademutt.com. They've also got the Mutt Hub, which they publish like a little newsletter for tradies, truckies, blue-collar workers and their families. And it talks about social and cultural issues that are important in a way that is relevant and connected to this community, which I just think is also really really cool and well worth a visit go and have a look awesome. and, and see what you think i'm going to go and have a look at it later <laughs> very very cool i'm going to have another yeah. look i look all the time <laughs> just for a bit <laughs> of expression um yeah. Willow, it's been so nice having you here this morning thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me i'm having you back again soon yeah i loved it too